right, here we go, folks. This is another edition of the Bibliotheques Podcast. Welcome back. Today, we are reading from The Canterbury Tales by Jeffrey Chaucer. I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Cody. Cody, what did you think of the stories we had to read today? You know, last time we had a ton of fun with ours. We learned a lot. Um, we had a lot, we added a lot of, I think, really good context to them. And this time I was just, just a couple of bummers, man. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, first of all, I will say I really enjoyed the last section that we read. The last three stories were nice because they were shorter and funny, digestible kind of bite-sized pieces. Mm-hmm, um, this one, so the man of law or our lawyer, his tale is particularly long. It's more comparable to the knight's tale that we read first, mm-hmm. but doesn't have that same kind of like ancient mythical feel to it, at least to me. It felt more like Game of Thronesy. Yes, very. That's um, a great way to put it. And the the second one, the shipman's tale, it's schemey like the past stories we've read have been like the Miller's tale and the Reeves tale. It's schemey. It has some of that kind of like, I don't know, we get kind of like this icky character, but in this shipman's tale, it doesn't have a lot of the same kind of like levity I felt to it that the other funny ones that we've read have had. It just feels a little bit more like evil almost. Yeah. I, yeah, it just very weird. A lot of, I think a lot of this is because Chaucer's just trying to, I think he's really trying to nail down all the different types of people that he experiences in his time. And a lot of times, have you ever like had the experience of when someone's trying to like, not obviously not through story or long analogy, but they're trying to like scold you about a lesson they assume you, you should learn. And the whole time you're like, come on, what? I mean, I get it, but like, that's your, like, that's your story. Weird. That's kind of what I get out of a couple of these. Yeah. I, I also think, and this will, I think become more apparent as we keep reading because after, after this week, we're what about a third of the way through this book somewhere in there. So in the back two thirds, we have a lot more stories to read, obviously, and we'll get some stories, not only from different like social statuses, but different professions, different genders. And so looking forward to that. But of the stories that we've read so far, one thing that I think is interesting is that some of the more kind of noble sounding or longer tales are coming from people with more money and are, mm-hmm. who are more affluent. Like mm-hmm. the, the Knight's Tale is the longest one we've read so far. He's the richest person, presumably, on our pilgrimage right now and second to that is this uh lawman's tale that we're about to cover also long and also has elements of like what you'd think to be some lessons on either like piety or faithfulness or honor and so it's interesting the way chaucer decides to to write these stories and if he's saying anything about who's actually telling them right so the man of laws kind of like 
break. Remember last week we stopped at the cook's tale being interrupted so rudely by the host. Host interrupts to mention him. He's like, hey, it's already 10 in, 10 in the morning. Sun's in the sky. We're cooking through daylight. We got to keep these stories rolling. Sorry, cook. I'm going to interrupt your short story for what is going to be a very long-winded story. Just <laughs> yeah. how it rolls sometimes. He asks the man a lot to do it and agrees and does this kind of like thing where he's like, hey, you're a lawyer. You owe me the debt of a story. <laughs> and the lawyer's like, I guess. I mean, I was going to tell it no matter what. He's like, then relieve us of your debt to us and tell us a story. He's like, okay. Is there anything more embarrassing, honestly, than like trying to talk jargon with somebody in a field that you know nothing about? Oh, yeah. Like going up to a doctor and trying to like, well, doctor, I uh, diagnosed what was wrong with your story. It's just like, dude, shut the fuck up. He does it all the time, too. It's yeah. all he does. So anyway, the lawyer's like, whatever. So the lawyer is like, just so you know, I'm not going to do any lawyer stories. If you that's what you're hoping for, I'm going to do a merchant story. And, you know, the merchant's like, who? Mm-hmm. Like, anyway, merchant story. So we got uh, we're so this one takes place in Rome. And when in Rome, this like, you know, band of Syrian merchants, they hear about the Roman emperor's daughter, Dame Constance, who's just crazy hot. Again, more of this like idolization and dolling of a woman, but she's just perfect in every way. When they return to Syria, the merchants are telling stories about their adventures and about this like young lady. And they're telling her to the ruler in Syria, the Sultan. And the Sultan is like, this lady sounds crazy hot. I want her to be my wife. And they're like, bad news, Sultan. Um, you're a Muslim. She is a Christian and she's not going to marry you because of that. And he's like, well, you know, I don't give a shit about being a Muslim. I'll be a Christian if it means I can marry this super hot girl. So he sends an emissary to her and he says, like, you're so beautiful. I'm going to change my religion. But, you know, we're people of the book. This is the God of Abraham. We're just sliding some scales around. It's no big deal. You say Jesus is the one. That's all. That's cool with me. <laughs> so the Sultan gets baptized and he instructs like all his, like his subjects to be like Christians as well. And with the marriage all set up, Constance is like really sad about leaving her family and friends in Rome, but is like, Hey, this is going to be a fun new land and I'll rely on Jesus. Jesus died for me. So I'm going to be faithful to him and go meet my husband. Uh, the Sultan's mother is big mad. Mm-hmm. She is not down with converting to Christianity. She would rather die. And she and her cronies make this plan to basically be like, oh, yeah, we'll get baptized. We'll do it all. But at the wedding feast, we're going to do a little bit of a little bit of a red wedding action. You know what I mean? We're going to do some bad stuff. Yeah. So the celebration happens. And then all the conspirators sweep down and they're killing everyone, including the Sultan. So this is just a total coup. Lady Constance escapes and she gets put on a boat. And is on this boat looking for land for a year, dude. Yeah. A year. Yeah. After a year and a day, quote, quite a of while roaming of roaming the sea. They end up on the northern isle of Northumberland. Now, this was such a dumb sounding name that I looked up if it's a real place. It is. It's basically as north in England as you can get without being in Scotland. So they're there. And they're basically like a, a cop a constable and his wife take Constance in. Cause they're like, Hey, what is this random girl doing on your like shipping boat? This is weird. And because North Umberland at that time is pagan Constance, uh, keeps her Christianity a secret soon though. The wife 
Herman Guild also becomes a Christian and basically like they and the um, constable sees him and her performing a miracle. He also becomes Christian. Yeah. So l- let's stop really quick because yeah, go ahead. one of the reasons that Herman Guild converts to Christianity is basically you have to think about Constance as like this like crazy devout Christian. Like mm-hmm. she is, you know, to- like virtuous across the board, like Virgin Mary type we're talking about here. So back when she was going to sail to Syria to marry the Sultan and Cody was talking about like, Hey, she doesn't want to go. One of the things is like, I will do basically what my dad tells me to do because essentially like that is God speaking in some way, like, Hey, honor your mother and father, that kind of thing. So I just want to say like, we're dealing with a super pious person, incredibly virtuous, incredibly dedicated in her faith. And when she meets Herman Guild, that kind of rubs off. And Herman Guild then converts to Christianity. This miracle is they find this other Christian in the area who is like one of the few people there who is Christian and just blurts out to Herman Guild, hey, I'm blind in Jesus Christ's name. Save me from this affliction. And the constable is like, what? (laughs) Like, why are you asking my wife to ask for Jesus's help with you? She's a pagan like me. And then obviously, Cody, as you said, yes, the miracle happens. The guy has like regains his sight. And Constable seeing this is like, okay, well, I mean, a miracle is what a miracle is. I'm a Christian now. I'm, I'm he's down with Christ. <laughs> Go with Christ. Huge bro. for the Lord. So then one day a young knight sees Constance and, you know, typical Chaucer action. He's filled with lust and uh, spurned and manipulated by Satan. Uh, the knight slits Herman Guild's throat. And leaves the murder weapon in Constance's bed. So this this is where the this is where the story just takes a total left turn. Mm-hmm. The constable takes Constance before the king, Allah, who rules with a wise and firm hand. Allegedly, the king sentences Constance to death, but makes the knight swear on holy books that she is guilty. The moment the knight swears to her guilt, he just dies. Smitten, just done. Sm- smote. I like the. I like the uh, the description here. It's like somebody with just. I mean, in this case, the literal hand of God smacks him on the back of the head and is like eyeballs shoot out the front. My guy is splodied. <laughs> and there's a voice saying the king has unjustly judged a disciple of Christ, and awestruck. All the pagans are now in on the Lord. They're all Christians now. And then King Allah is like, that was crazy. You're really pretty. Do you want to get married? And she's like, okay. Uh, They get married. They fall in love. So this is all good. And while the king's away at war, Constance gives birth to a son. But the king's mother, another bad mother of a king, Donagild, Donagild. So we have 
we have Herman Guild and we have Donna Guild. Yeah, right? Queen, Queen Mother. I like she's Queen Mother. Th- the fact that this story includes two angry moms about their sons getting married, like I'm just kind of like what? Okay, okay, lawyer, lawyer. Go talk about it with someone. This is a theme. <laughs> like my fucking mother-in-law. Yeah. Anyway, so she's an she's an evil woman. She's very bad. The 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 she intercepts messages bearing happy news of the child's healthy birth and replaces them by saying that the king's son was deformed. In response, the king's like, "Well, he's my son, so I don't care." Donegald intercepts those as well, and it's like, "God damn it, that's not what I wanted." And writes more false letters saying, "Well, we got to kill this kid." And Constance is like, I can't do this to my son, sails away. Upon the return, King Alla is like, hey, where's my wife and son? And Donegild's like, I don't know. He's like, hey, what are all these letters written in your handwriting about a deformed son and that I got to kill? He connects the dots mm-hmm. um, and is so enraged, he has his mother executed, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's how mad he is. Meanwhile, Emperor Rome, Constance's father, hears about the news of the Christians that died at the hands of the Syrians and is like crusade time. (laughs) About to do it for the Lord. We're going, we're going to Syria. Oh my God. They go, they go to Syria and unlike the crusades, kick ass and win. (laughs) I guess there were multiple crusades. I'm not a crusade historian. Anyway, they, 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 they shout Deus vault. They get in there. They they crack some skulls. They come back. Is that the um, the God wills it translation? Yes, God wills. God, God wills it. Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to the director's cut. It's three and a half hours. So you will you'll end up drinking nine beers watching the whole thing. It's all it's always fun. Solid Orlando Bloom movie for you guys who are sleeping on Kingdom of Heaven, but still love Pirates of the Caribbean. What are you doing? Where have you been since '04? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But as the Romans return to Rome, they spy a vessel. Constance is driving it, and they don't recognize her because she's been away for years. They take her to Rome. Um, and because she basically like doesn't recognize her homeland anymore, she's like lost her memory. And so she lives in like vague obscurity. She's not really doing anything. Anyway, the King Allah makes a pilgrimage of Rome to seek penance for like all he's done. He's like, hey, I'm in a bad place. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, uh, Papa, Pope, uh, I killed my mom. What do I do? What What do? Please advise. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he sees this kid who looks a lot like Constance. He's like, huh, what could that be? And then he kind of realizes that, oh, yeah, this girl arrived in similar circumstances to your like wife leaving. And he's like, that's crazy. Anyway, I'm I'm pretty sure I know who this kid is now. So he finds out where she is, sees her. He re- he like totally rejects the messages, convinces her like, "Hey, I'm back. That was all bullshit. I, she's she's dead. It, it was my mom. She's not going to bother us anymore. Don't worry about how." Um, can we please can we please talk about how awkward the initial meeting between these two it's people like, would be? It's it's wild because Constance, for all she knows, she sent this very loving letter. To her husband on the war front that's like, I have provided you with a beautiful baby boy. Let's get psyched about this. And the letter she got in return was, fuck you, leave. Kill him. <laughs> or, or die. <laughs> like We gotta kill that kid. So this king, Allah, or Allah, or whatever, 
comes into the house and it's like, Constance, it's so good to see you. She's like, what is going on right now? Dude, you can't just do that. Like, let's let's get a little bit of a softer intro here. Maybe a letter first. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so so then after that, they go to the say she basically like for some reason, you're gonna have to help me with this one. I was kind of lost on this one. She regains her memory and it's like, I'm in Rome. Well, so okay, I that's interesting that you say that she's like got a foggy memory. I was under the impression that like she just refused to talk about her history with anybody, partly because she is a single woman right. with a child. And so this senator coming back from Syria basically took pity on her. And anybody, again, anybody that's around Constance is immediately just like, this person's the shit. Like, yeah, she has it going on. She's super faithful. She would never like do anything. Um, if she's in a bad position, it's not her fault. Right. And so the way I was reading this, isn't that like her memory was all like scrambled. It was more that she was f- intentionally trying to like keep quiet about her circumstances, which of course changes when her husband comes and fully acknowledges her, and okay. it helps that he's a king. I, I was having trouble. I was kind of going blind on like rhyming translation. Yeah, no, I. What and I, I was just like, said. I was like, what is it like? Why is she not doing it? And she's like, because it's not explicit, and I think that makes more sense than my thing of like. She's like, she's like why doesn't she like mention any of this? Anyway, that yeah. makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, goes the emperor. She's like, my lord, it's me, Constance. Like Paul said, you know I rule. <laughs> Emperor's like, this is so sick. Especially because he's like, I assume you died. I did a whole crusade about it. We're not going to worry about it. Anyway, Alla and Constance uh, go back to Northumberland. And within a year, Alla is dead. Super sad. Big bummer. Constance and her son are going back to Rome. um, And upon the death of their grandfather, becomes the emperor of Rome. Mm -hmm. Like, absolutely massive come up for this boy who, you know, should be dead a million times over. Just. All because her mom, all because his mom is just with it, super sharp, crafty, not about to just like she's a survivor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so yeah, like this is another one of these stories that's like kind of all's well that ends well, with the exception of like probably a pretty early death for the king that she married. That kind of sucks. But like besides that, it's like okay, Constance back where she is meant to be with her son, who's going to be the emperor. This is great. Now, before I get into some of the, like what I believe to be the lessons in this story, a couple things need to be called out. There's a lot of racist language in this, and there's going to be that whenever you're talking about like Christians, pagans, Muslims, anything like that, it gets either like just really racist or I mean, I don't know if you could call it that in the case of like the Northumbrian pagans or like heathens as they're called in some passages, but like, you know what I'm talking about? It gets Mm -hmm. really bad sometimes. Just one little CS Louis up in this piece. Totally. So there's like mention of, you know, like barbarous nation being Syria. Like, so I just want to acknowledge that it's there. So if you're reading that, we're not ignoring that piece of this story. Okay. With that, it was, it was, it was spoiler. It was going to be my stockades of the week. Yeah. Yeah. 
So mine too. So the the lessons that I think we're supposed to be learning from this story is that weave throughout all of the plot that Cody went through throughout the whole thing. Whenever Constance is put on one of these fucking boats or is in a shitty situation, the whole or, or time is in some vague massacre scenario or, or is on trial and about to be put to death for killing her landlord's wife. Right. Mm-hmm. Any situation where like, Constance is in peril. There's like four really or five really big ones. There's another one where she gets attacked by this man on a boat after leaving uh, Northumberland and like God basically pushes this guy out to sea and he drowns. So there's like five big moments in this story where Constance is it's not looking good for her. And the answer every single time is Constance praise. Mm -hmm. And she's like, God I'm looking at you, man. You take care of this or take me home to you. I'm like ride or die. That's basically what this story is, is that Constance throughout the whole story is incredibly virtuous and very devout to to her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this is what I'm saying when we talk about the the tone and the kind of takeaways from each one of these stories, the Knight's Tale was like valiantly fighting for somebody that you love. We don't have to agree with everything that went on, but like that's kind of the the gist of it. Like everybody dies, live your life, fight for what you love. This one, be devout to God, right? The mm-hmm. other ones of like the lesser people, as like Chaucer might describe them, are like about cuckolding and like, having sex and screwing people out of their wives and and property getting got because you get right so i just wanted to call that out because that really hit me after reading this one it's pretty clear yeah yeah cody any other notes on this one no you know i mean the the lawyer finishes and the host is like that was awesome Mm. that was great um and you know they're from there, we just get into the shipment's tale, pretty much. Yeah, it's not necess- there's not a whole ton of fanfare that I could tell. No, the the only little bit which I think was kind of funny is like initially the host calls upon a priest, mm-hmm. uh, like one of the priests that are on our trip, to tell the next tale, but the sailor or the shipman like cuts in and is like, "Hey, man." We all know what this priest is going to say. We're we're all God-fearing Christians. We're all God-fearing English Christians. We don't need to listen to his sermon right now. Let me tell a dope story. We can leave his for later. Yeah. He also makes sure to let everybody know, because, of course, he's following this more elegant and, like, well, longer for one story by the by the lawyer. And so he starts his tale by letting everybody know like, hey, this is not going to be any of that philosophical shit. It's not going to contain any legal jargon or anything like that. So just be prepared. So, like, But it is about bad wives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh all of you people who like those stories, we've got something coming for you. <laughs> so this story begins with another merchant. So there's this rich merchant who lives in St. Denis. Now, I looked this up, Cody, and St. Denis appears to be in Southampton, England, but 
What's okay. what's weird to me is it feels like the majority of this story takes place in France. Um, a lot of them kind of get that vibe. So anyway, St. Denis, European somewhere. But this rich merchant, uh, you guessed it, has a hot wife. <laughs> Which, original. I swear to God, like, can anybody just have like a normal looking spouse? No, she's got to make dudes like eyes pop out of their heads like a Looney Tunes cartoon every time she's walking down the street. <laughs> so if so, you aren't going a every time you see this a woman's wife, then it's not a wife in a Chaucer tale. So, okay. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> the fucking wolf hitting his own head with the giant yeah, hammer. Yeah. Okay. So... So this merchant, he also likes throwing very extravagant parties. And uh, he invites this like wide range of guests from different social statuses. Uh, one of these guests who frequents um, this house is a monk uh, named Sir John. This monk is from the same village as the merchant. And he addresses this merchant as being his cousin, Though we don't know if they're really related at this point. It's just kind of like familial, like, hey, bro, that kind of thing, I'm thinking. So everybody likes Sir John because every time he comes, he's like very generous with all the servants in the house. He's just just a generally like a pretty good guy, fun, yeah. chill hang, uh, good to have at a party. So this merchant needs to go on a business trip to Bruges. Uh, and the merchant invites Sir John to come chill at his house for a little bit before he does that. Sir John is there for a couple days. On the third day that he's there, the merchant kind of like locks himself in his study or like accounting room because all he needs to do is just like crank out his own like ledger. He just needs he's to gotta make, count beans. Yes. He's got to make sure like all of his debts, assets, everything, like all of his money is in order he's before the books. before he sets out. This is just like, I don't know, Cody, if you ever had this experience, but like there was like a weekend every year where your dad was just like, I'm doing taxes. Don't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> like shuts yeah. the door. It's like, yeah, dude, dude, don't even go in the dining room. Right now. Just <laughs> yeah. there's just papers and like loose like receipts. Oh yeah, dude. He like went into the car to get all the goodwill ones that he shoved in the glove box. Like, God damn it. I, I know I have one more. I had a big one. It's like, Oh yeah. And then, yeah, it's like, he's got, he doesn't have like the green accounting visor on this guy might, but it's like, yeah, there's like the one light on over the kit over the dining room table. And he's just like crunching the numbers and like, doing it in pencil because you know he's going to fuck up. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely mid-2000s dad doing taxes energy. Yeah, for sure. Pre-TurboTax days. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, meanwhile... The while- hand calculator's out. <laughs> Reading glasses at the very tip of the nose. Mm, um, yes. So, while the merchant is, as Cody said, counting his beans... Uh, Sir John is walking around the garden outside when the merchant's wife comes out. Now, always good when they don't have names. Yes. And what I've found here is a lot of times you don't learn a name until it works well into the rhyme scheme. 
So like you'll get three quarters of the way through the story, and then all of a sudden at the end of a line, it'll just be like Molly. You're like, dude. wait, who the fuck is Molly? <laughs> dude. Chaucer is so sexist, he won't give a woman a name until it works <laughs> in the bar. <laughs> uh, like, God damn it, what rhymes with fucking folly? I gotta finish this new A B A B rhyme scheme. I was doing A A B B, now I'm doing A B A B. Oh, Molly, fuck yes, I'm a genius. You've done it again, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, uh, our modern day poets just name their songs shit like Dua Lipa and move on. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. Dude, Jack Harlow would definitely be a character in one of those stories. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> we gotta, I don't even want to touch that. You gotta keep going. <laughs> okay, so so as uh, as Sir John is walking around the garden... Out comes this unnamed merchant's wife. And it's clear that, like, she doesn't look super well. And the monk, they both, like, exchange this thing. It's very early in the morning. And so this this woman is like, hey, what are you doing up so early? And the monk's like, ah, I only need five hours of sleep a night. You know how that goes. But, hey, what about you? Like, after an entire night with your husband like there's this very crass exchange where this monk makes a joke of like you were having sex all night why do you have energy to be up right now did you catch that cody yeah i was like like what but the merchant's wife kind of like brushes that weird joke off and is like no actually it's not like that at all i'm really not in a good spot in my marriage right now. And they kind of agree like, all right, I'll divulge what's going wrong with me and this merchant. If you agree not to tell anybody about this, it's like, okay, your secret's safe with me. So she starts telling Sir John that her marriage with Sir John's cousin record scratch, er, Sir John's like, uh, he's not my cousin. Actually, we're just like, boys and i just kind of tell him that so that our relationship can be strong so i can see you and she's just like oh oh shit okay well anyway as i was saying my husband fucking sucks he's the meanest dude ever and basically he's super frugal with me like my husband makes all this money but won't give me anything to like spend on myself like get me some nice clothes do do this th- do this and that and so she asks sir john if she could borrow a hundred francs from him so she could you know buy herself something nice and sir john agrees and they kind of like are like i don't know they get cuddly i don't know like intimate in this garden with each other they don't do yeah. anything crazy but like I just assume that they like embrace and kiss. I don't know what they're. Yeah, Chaucer kind of passes over that pretty quickly. But then, <laughs> from there, the wife goes up to her husband, who's at work, and is just like, "Hey, are you ever gonna come out of that room? What the fuck's going on? We gotta eat. We gotta get our guests something to eat." So they have dinner that night. After dinner, Sir John asks the merchant if he can lend him one hundred francs. Because he's like, hey, I need to buy some cattle. Can you give me a hundred bucks my way, bro? And this merchant is like, absolutely. Like, what's mine is yours. Like, if I had more money, if you needed more, like, you can always ask me for that. So after this, the merchant goes off to deal with his business. 
and Sir John returns to his home while he's away with the hundred francs that he's borrowing from him and gives it to his wife and is like, hey, here's the hundred francs you asked for. Basically, in return for this, he sleeps with this woman like all night. Later, Sir John goes back to his abbey and the merchant is currently in town for business that he's on. And he runs into Sir John and asks him about this hundred franc loan. And he's like, hey, when might I get that back? And Sir John's like, oh, I already paid you back for that. I just gave it to your wife like a couple days ago. She can tell you all about it when you get there. So the merchant has a very successful business trip. All of his like, you know, wares are full now. He's got all of his money. He goes back home and he's like, hey, my adoring wife, I heard that Sir John delivered money that he owed me. And the wife is like, what? (laughs) What did he tell you? He paid you $100 for a debt that he owed you? It's not mentioned at this point what happened between the merchant's wife and Sir John. What is mentioned is that the merchant's wife already spent the 100 francs that Sir John paid back. And the story kind of comes to to an end where like the merchant forgives his wife for spending so frivolously and just being like, well, what's done is done. Let's just be a little bit more frugal going forward. Yeah, that's it. It just kind of ends like that. Like What? Yeah, I, I remember like they, I hit the end of the paragraph. I'm like, <laughs> I go back like a page and a half. I'm like, did I fucking miss something? And then, but yeah, this is how it ends. So he's like, I guess. Cody, what are you taking from this story? It can be enlightenment about the shipman himself who's telling it. It can be a lesson learned through the actual story. What what are you learning through reading this? Well, one thing is like, yeah, when he's like, when the shipment is, the shipment is basically like, I also learned this story from another merchant. And then he tells a story about like a merchant being a dumbass and getting cut. Mm-hmm. Like, sounds like the shipment is basically like, the lesson you're supposed to learn is like, don't trust women, which is like not great. Mm-hmm. But that's unfortunately the kind of like, there's no other like thing to draw a conclusion of. It's like, don't trust people for in religious institutions. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, and, and women bad. And that's kind of like what we're getting at here. It's not, not super good stuff. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, there's, there's writing, like there's little passages throughout here that support what you're saying, Cody, for sure. Like there was one, uh, one line where it's basically saying like, as you know, this is the merchant's wife talking to Sir John. She says something along the lines of like, as you know, Sir John, women only really need 60 things, six zero. And I think that's meant to be like kind of a joke from Chaucer where it's like, this woman doesn't realize that like 60 is a lot, but also at the same time, implying that women are too demanding and like, it just doesn't like hit very well, obviously now, but it's, yeah, I mean, this whole story, it's, th- this is what I was talking about where it's schemy, like other ones that we have read previously, but it didn't feel funny the way the other ones did. Well, here's another thing. As we're talking about this, it's becoming clear that Chaucer is, I think he's intentionally writing good stories and bad stories to just kind of show that like, if you get a lot of different groups of people together, they're not all going to be winners. I think he's intentionally writing some bad stories. And the Reeve story and this story are probably examples of being like, hey, sometimes there's people out there that are just bad storytellers 
their idea of what should be told in like a big group setting is kind of dumb and bad. Mm-hmm. And he obviously has a lot of respect for the characters that he's writing the Knight and the man of law. So he gives them like epic long uh, stories with good morals. Yeah. Yep. And it's, I think this is less of like Chaucer being like, you know what the reader wants to hear and more of him going like, Hey, doesn't this remind you of someone, you know, like someone who like their idea of like story time. And you're just like, okay, dude, like I get it. Yeah. I think that's, and like it took me to the end of this kind of session to more or less be like, huh, this sound because he's already being so meta about everything. Like people influencing what stories they tell based on like their personal reaction to another person's story. So this all just seems like a lot of layers and it's less of Chaucer being like, here's what I think. Mm-hmm. And more like, here's what the character I'm writing about thinks. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> I think that makes sense. But I think it also has implications when you're talking about like, okay, how how does Chaucer view someone of like a lesser social status? Oh, totally. Yeah, I did. That is 100% true. Right, right. Yeah, I this story, I don't know. It's It hasn't been my favorite. But <clears throat> those are the stories that we're reading today, which gives us another two... Uh, to add on to our list thus far, Cody, do you want to do a quick ranking of stories so far? Yeah. So, so options we'll are we've got the Knight's Tale, we have the Miller's Tale, the Reeves' Tale, the Cook's Tale, Man of Law's Tale, and the Shipman's Tale. Okay. I think Knight's Tale, Miller's Tale as 2A, yep. 2B. Man of Law's Tale, four, The Shipman's Tale, five, Reeves' Tale, six, Cook's Tale. And, you know, The Cook's Tale, it's 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 not. I mean, the guy got like five words in. So we're putting him last, more of a technicality than anything. Right. No, I I think I'm, I'm with you. I would probably switch Reeves and Shipman. I get it. So mine would probably go Knight's Tale, Miller just because it was really funny. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. Man of Law because I think I don't know, it just felt more substantive um in some ways than some of the other ones. Um mm-hmm. and then Reeves Shipman Cook. Uh yep. so we can keep that list running. Uh Cody, your indulgence for the week. My indulgence for the week. I think it's really fun when you do fish out of water stories. And that's a lot of what the Constance plot is. It's just like, it's a little secretive. She's sleuthing around and and she's a smart character. I I enjoyed Constance as like, you know, this princess being shipped off to a foreign land and then having to survive in all these scenarios. I really liked Constance. I think, I think she's my indulgence of the week. Yeah. A very, a very well fleshed out Chaucer character, which we have female Chaucer character, which we have not gotten so far in the story. So I very much enjoyed that. Right. Right. Yeah. I think when we're, I I don't know, this is, this is obviously just um, a product of being written 600 years ago. Right. But when we're talking (laughs) about the ideal woman, basically being a virgin, that's, Mm -hmm. that's, tough but with the constance character my indulgence is also coming from that story today i love the fact that like constance is in a trial that's going to decide the rest of her life and for once someone is like 
well, let's let God decide. Hey, swear on this holy book that like she's the one who did it. And in this instance, like God fucking comes through. Like, oh, yeah. In a very big way, very real way. You know, it's like you imagine if like if like you were watching like C-SPAN and someone testifying before Congress was like, yeah, I'm about to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Then they just died. (laughs) Yeah. Like all of those stories where they're like, all right, we will uh, tie a rock to this person because she's a witch. Oh, yeah. But if she floats, that means that she's innocent or all of that stupid shit. It's like in this case, justice. Let's go. And yeah. And you, I think Josh is doing that because usually that tool is used against women a lot where they're like, yeah. well, I'm going to swear to God. And I'd, I'd probably be smited mm-hmm. if I was lying. And since I'm not man correct woman not so yeah exactly all right your my stockade your stockade of the week yes my stockade is uh this week's uh c.s lewis award for most racism towards middle eastern people yeah in uh the the lawman's tale the uh motion passed to basically just have a blanket racism sexism any kind of like negative ism in anything that we read, I think is it it's we're going to do our best to acknowledge it every time we come across it, because I think we kind of have a responsibility to do that. And so I agree with you on that, Cody. Is there anything in these stories that outside of like, in, you know, a more obvious, like kind of, societal criticism right like anything that you that you didn't like either about the writing or the plot itself or anything a little less um yeah like societal issue so i guess the thing that i would say that i am not a big fan of this week would definitely be this sort of um oh it's definitely this the sense of like i really want to connect with this like very kind of flowery rhyming language Mm. but i find myself a lot i think more than some other snares i found this with jane austen too sometimes i just can't grasp a context clue that the author is giving me and i'm really kind of banking on either like you or like maybe a quick internet search to help fill in some gaps on me just because like we'll read it and i'll read it passes i'm like I don't know what the fuck you just said. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think sometimes it really kind of breaks the story for me. If I have to like quick on my phone, be like a what, or like, this is an English translation from old English, but like, I know that's not a word. Like, what is this? Like sometimes that can really stop me in my, in my tracks. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And that's far more sophisticated than my answer. My golem of the week, my stockade of the week, is this fucking messenger <laughs> in the constant story, like the uh, man of law story, who is going to the queen's place, staying overnight, and just like getting duped? Like, do your job, man. Just like get the letter to the. It's a letter to the king. Eliminate. All variables. Oh, yeah. That's you, actually a great point. I didn't even think about that. Why does the queen mother need to know about any of this? This is a conversation between. And why the queen is she a and- stop on your journey? Pack a tent, man. 
Like this is message the to the king and from the king. Literally, get on your horse and shadow fax it to and from. Well, I wonder. Yeah, because because then you don't want to have the fun uh, thought exercise of. I wonder what happens when the kings find out I'm basically allowing another person not named the king to proofread his letters. Oh my God. So that that's a, that's a fast way to get yourself hanged. My guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, that's the part of this where of course, in all of these stories, there has to be some element of like either natural intervention of like in previous stories, you know, like we just have to kind of suspend disbelief and be like, Mm -hmm. it's too dark to see. Or uh, there are some things where it's like, is anyone that stupid to like agree to something like this or behave in this way? But this one in particular to me was like, dude, come on. And cause, cause like, again, like I just said, sometimes I, I miss things with like the amount of like, gilding of the lily that we have here is there was there something in there about like the queen like bribes him no or like basically i I didn't think so no basically what happens is so yeah the messenger makes a stop at the queen's place and she just swaps letters while he's sleeping both times Mm -hmm. both times so like dude you gotta you like Let's just turn our brains on here. What man. are we doing? Yeah. What <laughs> messenger? What are we doing? What would, what would Don? True bibliotheques fan, fans will understand. <laughs> Norma. Norma. What are you Norma. doing? <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that does it for our show today. Uh, next time we will be coming at you with more Chaucer, more Canterbury tales, excited to get into the rest of this story, uh, and hear from, um, some of our female characters. We're leading off next week with the prioress's story. So it'll be Mm -hmm. great to hear from someone of a hopefully significantly different viewpoint. Looking forward to that until then we will see you next time. Have a good week, folks. 